0: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. The first mistake I think people make is doing nothing because they're afraid. They don't have the confidence.
1: That's nationally recognized speaker and author Sarah Beckman on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast
0: with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we are here to welcome you to another episode and to help you put your faith to work and bring your bold ideas to life. Armin, we have a great guest on our program today. That's right. With a difficult topic. (laughs) Definitely not going to be easy, but
2: it is going to be solid
1: content. For those of you who are wondering what this is all about, and maybe one of those things that you don't want to listen to because it's all about trial, and you probably have enough of it in your own life, you won't want to miss, though, the conversation that we are going to have with Sarah Beckman. Sarah speaks nationally on loving your neighbor, sharing your faith, safeguarding your marriage, digging up your talents, but she speaks more importantly... on coming alongside people who are dealing with trial in her life. In fact, she's the author of the book, Alongside a Practical Guide for Loving Your Neighbor in Their Time of Trial. Boy, I tell you, we are so happy and so honored to have Sarah Beckman join us on this podcast. Sarah, welcome to the Bold Idea podcast.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: We're so glad to have you. You know, you're the author of Alongside, A Practical Guide for Loving Your Neighbor in Their Time of Trial. But before we dig into the topic of your book, and I know there's so much to talk about there, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I'm particularly interested in what got you interested in writing about this topic.
0: Well, I am married to my husband, 26 years. We currently live in New Mexico. And I have three kids, 17, 19, 21. So we're doing that whole college slash finishing high school thing.
1: Yep, I know that.
0: And yes, it's kind of crazy. And what got me interested in writing a book about this topic was really just a decade of hardship. So I had bed rest with my third. Then within six years, I had four back surgeries. And then I walked three people very intimately through terminal illness in three years. Wow. I had my own experience, but then I had experience with other people as well.
1: So having three people that were close to you, I'm guessing that you walk through their own final days. How did that change your perspective on life and what you were doing and perhaps even your own trials that you were experiencing at the time?
0: That's such a great question. I, I think that really, When I was going through my own trials, I was just trying to get by, right? So you're not really very introspective, you're coping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then as I started to, it was a best friend and then a neighbor and then my brother-in-law and they each died one year apart, so their journeys sort of overlapped a little. But I started to look at it so differently because each consecutive trial of those people allowed me to learn more than I realized that I knew. So part of it was from my own receiving help. Part of it was just when people did things well or not as well for me, I learned how to do it better when I was helping them. But I really felt like we were missing an objective conversation about how to do this well, like as the church, as people that want to love people outside the church in their hard places, because I really recognize that there is a unique opportunity to shine light in those dark places, especially for people outside the faith, that When they're so vulnerable and hurting and in pain and struggling, they're more open to spiritual conversations. They're more open to God. They're more open to prayer. They're more open to things that when life is going really well, they're not quite as open to. And so as someone, as people who want to be great commission people, I think that it's just so important that we recognize that in these hard spaces, this is like this amazing opportunity to step in and shine a light.
1: A minute ago, you said that we're missing an opportunity for an objective conversation. What do you mean by that An objective conversation?
0: Well, so I had read a lot of white papers or blog posts or just different articles where people had been in a trial and then it would be, you know, three things never to say to someone that's grieving or, you know, right? So what was happening is when I would look at those articles or, you know, pieces of information, I was sensing that there was always so much baggage that came with it. So I felt like it was a really subjective, even though there was truth to what they were saying, it always came veiled with their personal pain, which makes it very real. But it also makes it harder for the recipient to feel like this is doable instead of maybe like they're being scolded. And so I really wanted to create alongside as a resource for people so that I could move myself out of it and I share my own experiences, but I interviewed people and I I really wanted it to be like a 40,000 feet viewpoint instead of this was my trial and here's what you can learn from what I learned. I really tried to step back and make it much more objective so that anyone could do this because I really feel like if we had the right tools, all of us could be better at coming alongside. It's just that we're lacking tools and wisdom and advice in order to do that well.
1: Am I hearing that part of that is that maybe some of the challenges that we have in uh, helping people who are having trials in their lives is that we get in our own way by focusing on our own situations or trials that we might have experienced? Is that what you're saying?
0: I agree with that. But I'm also saying that, yeah, like the advice when it's given from a place of pain just does not seem as helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant by the objective piece, gotcha. right? I just, okay. I wanted people to be more like, read this book as a means to be just like, this is a guidebook. This is for anyone. This isn't laced with tons of my hurts and pain. And, you know, it does have personal experience, but it's written as like a resource book. But, To the second thing that you thought maybe I was saying which is so true as well because sometimes we get in our own way when we want to love someone because we want to maybe fix it or we want to give them advice based on our situation and we don't step back and ask if they really want our help or ask their permission to share. You know, I've been where you are. I've had breast cancer or I've had back surgery, which would be my situation. If you want advice, I would love to offer it, but you just let me know. Right. So instead of letting our, oh my gosh, I have to dump all of my experience and all of my hurts and pains and trial on you as a way to quote unquote help you. If we ask permission first and be allowed to enter in in that space where they're ready to receive it, then it can just be a conversation instead of a, I know it all and I'm going to give it all to you, whether you want it or not.
1: Yeah. You just need to uh, juice parsley. And uh, that should be a big, big fix, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's my go-to. <laughs> Juice parsley? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That fixes everything.
2: So I'm curious, what, what are the most common mistakes you see people making in these difficult
0: situations? Oh, there's there's several. The first mistake I think people make is doing nothing because they're afraid, they don't have the confidence, they definitely have the compassion for the person in trial, they want to do something, their intentions are there, the heart is there, but if they don't have the confidence of what to do or what to say, then they do nothing, and then they lose relationship because of it.
1: Now, what do you recommend to people that are maybe just uncertain and, you know, they don't necessarily want to say something stupid. I'm sure they don't want to embarrass themselves or perhaps the other person. So they remain quiet and they, they don't reach out in any way. What do you say to them as a way to
0: start? I think the most important way to start is... To start, no. (laughs) But, you know, really there is no magic words, but there's one method that I try to refer to, like if it's grief, for an example, that is one most common for a lot of us. How do we acknowledge someone's grief? I don't know what Mm -hmm. to say. So we might say, I'm sorry for your loss. And then it feels sort of like empty and...
1: Thoughts and prayers, you
0: know. Yes, my thoughts and prayers are with you. I always try to encourage people to give a remembrance. So you know, I am sorry that you lost your dad. My favorite thing about your dad was this. I'm sure you're going to miss like his joy for life. Or I love the legacy that I see your dad left in you because you seem to have such a strong faith that I know he also shared and how amazing that he can leave that legacy behind. Things that really speak to the heart of the person. So we give a remembrance instead of an empty condolence. So that's like the best place to start if you're standing in a receiving line at a funeral home or if you're writing a card of sympathy or if even if you run into them in the grocery store.
1: Oh, that's um, great. I love that for yeah. someone who's grieving. Now, how about for the case where you, like, you had your friends who were dealing perhaps with the news of a terminal illness? And they're still perhaps in a bit of shock about it. What, what advice would you give to somebody who has a friend in that situation?
0: One thing that I like to share is sort of this notion of it's an acronym. It's AAE, which is Affirm, Acknowledge, Express. And, you know, it's not like scientific. It's just sort of a something I dreamed up, you know, trying to give people more tools how to speak. And so acknowledging the situation, you know, the first thing that you would do is just like, you know, I'm sorry that you're facing this illness, you know, like speaking the thing, I'm really sorry that you have to go through chemotherapy. I'm really sorry about your son, you know, taking his life, like just just acknowledging it. Um, and trying to make it about them and validating their situation, not trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. And then sort of affirming their feelings is the second part. And specifically if they say something like, you know, we really are relieved that my dad's pain and suffering with dementia is over. It's such a relief to us to have him be whole and well in heaven, you know, as opposed to, you know, whatever they might say, you take their cue. So you affirm whatever they're saying, but you don't get to put silver linings or put your own like spin, positive spin on it for them, especially if you're not like super close to them. So like we talk about relationship levels and We could go into that, but like if just in general, if it's not like your mom or your sister or your very best friend, like you don't get to choose for them how they feel about this. (laughs) You get to just affirm whatever they are saying. Like, if they say they're in a better place, then yay. You like, oh, yes wow, the pain is over. You know, you get to affirm that, but you don't get to choose it for them.
1: Yeah, don't say you shouldn't feel that way.
0: Yes, Mm. and don't give them feelings that they didn't say they have, Mm -hmm. you know? So really just like, I'm here for you. That's the final, like, I'm with you. I'll be here for you. You know, we want to do what we can to help you get through this.
1: That's the express part that you're referring to.
0: That's Mm -hmm. the express part, exactly. And if you don't know how to get through one or two, like affirming or acknowledging, then you just say... We're here for you. Mm-hmm. We're not going to forget you. We'll reach out to you in the next few weeks or months when things calm down or when you have the margin to think about what you might be needing. You know, we'll be here for you.
1: You know, I recently had a friend who just lost his son to an overdose, young man in his 20s. And, you know, we recently got together and just talking about what he's processing. And one of the things he said to me is, you know, I've never been on this journey before. And I'm learning to take each day without expectation about what grieving is going to look like for today. That each day might have a different color of grieving and grief to it. And instead of trying to say, you know, measure that, yeah, I'm getting better, I'm getting healthier, I'm processing it better. He's just saying, you know, I'm going to just live with whatever the day brings me. And I'm going to be okay with if it's just a really sad day, I'm going to embrace that sadness. If it's a joyful remembrance day, I'm going to embrace that. And I just thought that was such a healthy perspective to not put expectation on yourself about how you're going to grieve. And I wonder if maybe part of what you're saying is in this framework is to communicate with somebody in such a way as to not put expectations on them about how they should grieve as well.
0: So true, so true. And astounding, his perspective. It's just beautiful because we do. We we want it to be better, right? We want the people that are in pain in our life to not be in pain. We just sort of want it to be at the other end because it's easier for us. I mean, yeah. And I'm using a gen- generic we, mm-hmm. so forgive me, I'm not trying to... Put something on someone that is better at it than maybe I am, but it, it's just human nature. No, I
1: think that- you're. I think you're right. I mean, we're all very uncomfortable when it comes to speaking to people who are in pain. We, you know, out of compassion, we want the pain to go away. I mean, Jesus wept when he saw the pain that Mary and Martha were going through with the death of their brother, and yet at the same time, you know, he was he was the answer to that pain, right. and yet he entered in compassion and and you know, wanting to to you know, know that at least for them to know, too, that he felt very deeply. And I think we all get uncomfortable. We'd like to fix it, like it to go away. And that's just part of the human struggle, as you were saying.
0: Well, and back to expectation, I think that's super spot on, because if we have less expectation of ourselves being the savior of that friend or being the person that's going to be saying the magic perfect right thing today or being the person that, you know, makes like shifts the needle in some significant way. If we lower that expectation and have an expectation of ourselves that we are going to be willing to show up, much like your friend is saying, I have to show up in my grief each day. If we're willing to have the expectation of ourselves be that we are responsible to mm-hmm. enter in to the hard place with our friend without expectation that we can fix it or do the magic thing, it releases all this pressure. And our presence can be the gift. Our listening can be the gift. And our just merely willingness to enter into that hard place is, I mean, hands down already, we stand off the charts compared to most people. And that's really sometimes all it takes. I mean, I think of Job's friends, they just showed up and sat with him for seven days and didn't speak. And they, their most powerful testimony was when they were quiet, right? Cause right. When they yeah, because when
1: mouth, they when they started talking, that's <laughs> <as> when <laughs> everything went downhill. <laughs> I want to say all hell broke loose, but you know, basically God had a few words to say to them about their and literally, counsel.
0: Like think of the situations you know about when people just show up and your yeah. friends talk about like, thank you for just showing up at my house after my son overdosed or whatever it is. Like I just needed someone's presence.
1: Yeah, I love your presence, your words you can keep to yourself. (laughs) Yes. So, Sarah, I know you're already kind of
2: talking about it, but I, I just want to clarify from your expertise, what is the difference between engaging someone that's maybe down for the count temporarily versus they just lost a family member, a child, a father, a mother?
0: So what's the difference in how we respond? Is that what your yeah, question
2: Yeah. So like say I have a friend that's got back surgery and can't move for 12 weeks versus uh, a friend who just lost their mother. What What is the right. difference between engaging the two different types of yeah. situations?
0: Such a great question. Really insightful. I think that it's a lot of the things are similar, right? So like maybe we want to do something without permission. That's one of the ways that we can reach out to someone. We could, uh, you know, mow their lawn, Because they can't get out of bed, but we could also mow their lawn because they're grieving without, you know, calling and saying, Hey, will you let me mow your lawn? We just do some things without asking just to be a blessing to someone. But the big shift happens in when, like, when my 12 weeks are over of laying in my bed, I'm up and about and kind of doing my life, but someone who's grieving is not done grieving, or someone who has cancer that is still going through chemotherapy and they have 18 weeks of it and then they have radiation and then they're still not full strength and then they might have surgery, you know. So I love that question because the longer the journey, the more important that we realize that the crisis doesn't end in a week or a month, even Mm -hmm. though the funeral's over or the treatment's over. So I like to encourage people to keep remembering. So like I have a friend who lost her husband a year and a half ago and occasionally uh, like once a month or once every other month, I'll send her a text with the Bible verse. and she sometimes will reach back out with the response and then she's opened the door and feels like talking that day. Other times she doesn't respond and I know that she knows that I'm thinking about her. So the biggest advice is to not forget. And even if it requires putting a note in your calendar, like, on the fifth of the month, put a reminder. You know, reach out to Jane, reach out to Bob. It's maybe it could be a meal, maybe it could be a gift from Amazon, maybe it could be a phone call, maybe it could be a text, maybe it could be a card in the mail. That is what really makes the difference and sets aside someone who's truly alongside for the long haul. That's so good. This is the Bold Idea Podcast.
1: Well, I mean, this is probably a good time to take a pause from this episode and thank our listeners who've supported the podcast.
2: You are the reason we exist. This is a nonprofit. That means we don't make profit off of doing this. This <laughs> costs money. So if you're the people out supporting us and donating to us, you're the reason that we've been able to do this for over a year. And we'd love to be able to do this for another year or two and bring on more amazing guests. So we would love your support feel so glad just go to bold Idea podcast.com forward slash donate and thank
1: We got pretty deep into the one question or the one response you had to Armin's questions, which were some of what are some of the mistakes that we make when we're trying to help people who are in trial. And you said, first thing you said was do nothing. And then that got us into a nice long conversation. Yes. Are there some other things that we tend to trip across when we're trying to help somebody who's going through a hard time that we should know about?
0: Yes, a super easy one is what we do say often. And it's, sometimes it's sincere, but other times it's just something we say out of habit, Which is, let me know what I can do or let me know how I can help, you know? And we may say it in the grocery store, we may say it at the back of church or in the office or whatever. And it's sort of like, now I've said something. Shoo, I got that over with.
1: Yeah, check the box. Yeah. You know, I was. I told them. Yeah, I was recently convicted of that myself, and Armin and I had a conversation on one of our earlier podcasts. That um, you know, when we even when we meet somebody, even not in a situation where we're trying to encourage them in a trial, but even like in a business setting or whatever, we might even say that. Well, what can you know? Let me know how I can help. And we concluded that that's kind of lazy. You know, it's (laughs) what would be better is just do something or offer something specific. You know, rather than ask them to tell you what they need from you when they may not be aware. And frankly to ask somebody to do that, they may not be willing to give it. So why put myself out on the line, especially if I'm grieving? I mean, that's like, yeah, really, would you paint my house for me? Because I'm, you know, I'm kind of depressed. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and, and so I love that you guys have talked about this, so we won't belabor it too far. But you said it already, the most, the best thing you can do is be intentional and make a specific offer yourself, which means that you've done the hard work And you've offered something that A, you can do and that you would not, like, what if they took you up on the offer, just like you said, Mm. and you couldn't do the thing that they asked you (laughs) to do.
1: Yeah. Now you're both in a bind.
0: Right. But the other really important shift in our thinking has to be that if we say, let me know what I can do, even if we sincerely, genuinely mean it, we have just put all of the burden on the person that is already burdened totally, to come up with something that we can do So so that we feel better. (laughs) Yes. And also to actually follow through and ask us. Yeah. Right? So we've just gone and given them more work.
1: Yeah. In some ways, it's really just saying to the person who's in pain, I feel so badly about your pain. I want you to tell me what I can do to relieve how painfully bad I feel. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is like, yeah. Come to think of it, let's add to their burden.
0: Yeah. If we're just intentional and we really want to help,
1: good. That's so. That's a great pet peeve. What What are some other mistakes that you've seen people make? You know, that one was kind of squirming because I know I've done it.
0: Ah. Uh. We've all done it. I mean, it's just so hard. I, you know, I think we covered like doing nothing. We covered, you know, saying, let me know what I can do. But, and we sort of dabbled in this, but I would say like trying to fix their problems. So when they tell you what's wrong, then you immediately have a solution. That's another big no, no, a mistake that we make. Mm -hmm. And then I would also say like the Christian platitudes or, and we, we sort of addressed it, but just to highlight it for the listeners is just not to put your own words into their mouth or tell them like, oh, they're in a better place and my expression that I use is just because it's true does not make it helpful mm. and so we really want to avoid true but helpful statements things will you know, all we,
1: work out for the good
0: yes yes and there are very there can be strong biblical truth behind what we're saying yeah, but
1: it's the go-to grieving verse
0: <laughs> yes right yeah. God has a plan for you a hope for your future right. yep. yeah but you know what Right now, all I can worry about is today and it sucks.
2: Right. So what <laughs> what do they say?
0: What to stay instead. You know, just we kind of talked about that as far as just affirming, acknowledging I'm with you. I, this must be hard. You know, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be with you in the hard thing. You know, just saying it's hard, acknowledging that it's hard, saying it sucks, saying that you, you can't fathom what they must be going through, that you're not going to try and pretend that you know what it's like to be in their shoes, you know? Yeah. Because people think, oh, you have no idea, right? So if you just say, oh, I'm sure this is hard or the other thing that we tend to do is compare our situation to theirs, like, oh, I know how you feel. My mom's sister's brother's friend died. <laughs> you know? No. Yeah. You don't get to do that.
1: A, so a little one upmanship you know? Yeah. You think you have it bad. Boy, I remember Yes. When, yeah,
0: like we just hijacked their moment, yeah. their time. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah, so.
1: So yeah. much could be remembered if we just kind of focus on It's not me, 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 me. <laughs> yeah.
0: yes. So true. Sarah, so
1: you've got so much stuff here. And I know that this is probably all packed in your book alongside. But I know you're also working on the flip story, which is helping people who are not giving the advice, but the ones who are in the trial themselves. Talk about that project.
0: Yeah, so it's called Hope in the Hard Places. And what I learned over the course of the several years that I've written and I've been speaking around the country about alongside is that people often really are, you know, you're either one place or the other. It's either you with your friend or your mom or your sister, or it's you in the middle of all of the trials and so i really felt like i wanted to provide a similar resource hopeful encouraging book for people in the middle of their hard space so that they wouldn't feel hopeless wouldn't feel like i don't know where to turn what to do next how do i proceed you know so it's practical and hopeful and biblical and kind of all wrapped up in one
1: and you're going to follow the AAE formula in that book
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) You bet. Exactly.
1: And when can we expect to see that?
0: So it's already available for pre order on Amazon, but it comes out in March of 2019.
1: That's great. Now, I have just a moment to discuss with you something that I would like to pivot to. And that is you've been a stay at home mom and you went through this crisis experience for yourself with your third child and then had to walk with three others that you talked about. And Somewhere along the line, the thought occurred to you not just to help people through that experience, but to help them through the idea of writing a book and becoming a national speaker on this topic. Talk through that transition. So This is the Bold Idea podcast, and this idea grabbed a hold of you. I want to talk about how that happened
0: yes and i'm so glad you asked because really it took me so far out of the box of where i thought i would be i mean i had certain capabilities and capacities i had a journalism major and i was kind of speaking and working in my church and volunteering while i raised my kids and but at the same time the whole notion of writing a book i felt such a huge responsibility to the people that i loved that i lost And I felt a huge responsibility to the people that I decided to interview. And I, you know, I basically said what was helpful and what was not helpful in your trial. And so my journey to writing alongside was actually four and a half years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because I partly was paralyzed by how where do i start how do i even write a book <laughs> and it's so hard and i wanted to quit so many times so many times and i even had some people say you know what you're not quite ready your platform's not big enough you're you know just like would you really want to launch a national speaking career on this topic i mean i heard it all mm-hmm. and and i wanted to quit because of that what was but the what I, was
1: the biggest threat to your continuing i mean what was the message that you found yourself most likely to succumb to that you can't message that would have been easy to topple over which Um, what was it? it's
0: not going to be good enough Uh uh-huh yep it's not going to be good enough. You won't do it well enough. It won't be perfect. You won't encompass every scenario. You won't include every person. You won't honor all these people. Well, it, it was it was all fear, really, yeah. of not being enough. And I struggle with perfectionism. And just navigating the book world and do I self-publish? Do I traditional publish? You know, just all of the messages. And really, at the end of the day, when I heard no... That was actually what made me say, you know what? You know, I am not listening to the no voice. Like when someone else told me I couldn't, I was like, "Oh, you just watch me." <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was that was your trigger point. That's good.
0: Yeah, I'm the youngest of 14 kids, and I have seven brothers and six sisters. Well, oh, you
1: had to scrap for everything you got as the youngest yeah, of 14 and you kids. Yeah, you
0: not tell me that I can't do it.
1: Yeah, I love I that.
0: I see myself that I can't, but when someone else says you can't, oh. oh You watch me. I'm competitive. Let's go.
1: I'm ready, man. I'm fired up.
0: That's right. You know, I
1: I don't know anybody who tries to put forth something bold in the world and doesn't have that challenge that you just described. So spot on. It's like it's not going to be good enough. Yes. You know, and at some point you just say, so what? you know what, it's going to yeah. be what I make it to be. And that's good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's good enough. And so well, Sarah, I applaud you for sticking with it. It's an important topic to write about. It's an important topic to coach people in the stuff that you've talked about really, really valuable. And, and as someone who's written on this topic before, I can tell you, I love the messages that you're bringing because it's so, so vital. Tell us, how can our listeners
0: find out more about you? They can go to my website, sarahbeckman.org, O-R-G, and Sarah's with an H, Beckman, C-K, and it's all there. Yeah, there's all the alongside resources has its own page and tab and all of the things.
1: And they can pre-order your new book.
0: Yes, that's not quite linked to my website yet. It will be soon, but it is on Amazon. You can just Google Sarah Beckman and it'll come up. But yes, and I I do want to say just because I love the notion of your podcast and the bold idea and the people listening, just as my final thought is that are enough like what we can do like we just always have to remember that God can multiply it and so our job is to show up and do what we've been asked to do and trust that even if it's not the greatest most perfect wonderful and we could have done more or better or different like we don't ever get to be the judge of that God gets Mm -hmm. to do the multiplication but if it's not in the world he can't multiply it
2: amen amen come on (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> to reach. It. that's right <laughs> what a perfect point to end on thank yeah. you for that
1: Sarah thanks so much for this conversation it's a vital conversation to have and I just love the way God used the events in your life to stir this new ministry and this passion for you to help people both in trial and those who are uh, trying to come alongside those who yeah. are in trial so just want to thank you for your ministry there oh, and thank thanks, you. thanks again for appearing on our show. Alright Armin that's Sarah, like Sarah, ex twin that's right. we discovered. And the hater of North Metro alongside
2: you while you guys brag about <laughs> the South Metro. I see how you guys roll. It's like well, gangs. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, she's become a good friend now.
1: <laughs>
2: Affiliate gang member.
1: Uh, you know, I really do appreciate the work that she's doing in what is a very difficult conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's difficult in a lot of ways. I, th- It's difficult, I think, for people to uh, know what to say Mm -hmm. obviously i mean i think we've all experienced that when we've encountered people that have gone through a tough time it's really like what do i say what do i say and somehow there's there's this pressure that whatever i say has to be meaningful to them you know as opposed to just being present and i love the you know that's the key thing she's talking about but i think it's difficult for her even as an author or a speaker because this is one of those topics where a lot of people who are not in pain don't want to deal with. Right. I mean, why would I want to learn about how to, you know, deal with somebody in pain? Mm-hmm. It's kind of painful to think about. Yeah. It's like it reminds me when, when I first got married with Anna, you know, I couldn't talk about death at all for nothing. So we never put a will together. Mm. And, and finally, it was one of those deals where when we had our first child, mm. literally she said to me, We will not drive in the car together with Stephanie, our firstborn, as long as you don't have a will. Oh, wow. As long as we don't have a will, because I was unwilling to talk about the, <laughs> this idea of death. Yeah, this yeah. is one of those topics I wanted to avoid. And I think it's one of those things where we, you know, this is one of those topics that you're not just naturally drawn to, you know? Yeah. Well, I can't wait to go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and pick up a <laughs> book on trial. <laughs> right. You know, I just want the happy book. Yeah. You know, <laughs> One of the things that
2: really stuck out to me from our Michelle Watson interview is she said something I'll never forget because it was so accurate in a applies to this interview so much is that she said men would always rather not do something than do it wrong. Yeah. Right? And when it comes to this topic, you don't even know what right looks right. <laughs> exactly right. You know? That's right. So
1: avoidance is the easiest, safest, safest yeah. route, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So why wouldn't you avoid I think avoid I'll just it? melt away into obscurity and maybe they'll forget that I was even a friend. Right. Yeah, likely so. <laughs> and you may yeah. never be again. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the, the test of something is when it endures in hard times and really the test of a friendship is whether you're there Mm -hmm. in hard times. Now, that's a real test of whether somebody's a friend. Do they fade away? Yeah. Do they fade away when times get tough? Yeah, and that's the easiest thing to do. It is the easiest thing to do.
2: But I love the thing that she pointed out about the Jewish culture and how she pointed out Job, the fact that all they had to do just, just show up yeah. and sit there, yeah. right? It's, it's the presence. It's the fact that you're not alone. You're not doing this by yourself, that that we're going to go through this pain. We're going to go through this trial. We're going to go through this
1: grief with you. Though we can't empathize, we're here. Yeah. And that's so hard to do because... Practicing that presence is really, really tough. You know, the the man that I was referring to, my friend who lost his son, I would say, you know, if you look at people you generally can place character qualities about them. You know, you, you think about somebody and you think about what they stand for. And this guy stands for somebody, and I've seen it repeated over and over and over and over again. He is present. I mean, mm-hmm. he is the kind of person that, like, when you're with, and we've talked about this before, when you're with them, they're not in a hurry to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're with them. Yeah. And what I really appreciate is even when he's not able to be present, he seeks out, a time that he can be. So for instance, I might say to him or send him an email and say, hey, are you free for lunch? And he goes, no, I can't that day, but tell me the next available date that you can. I mean, he's mm. just anxious to to express an interest to get together. And this idea of of just availing yourself, and I know that if something were to crumble desperately badly in my life, there would be no hesitation, but he would be there. Yeah. And and that's just the kind of person that I know him to be. Wow. Because I've seen him do that for so many other people and I've seen his eagerness to find ways to accommodate me when I've needed it. Yeah. And boy, I tell you, that's one of the best things I think you can do when somebody's having a hard time is just show your willingness to be there.
2: Yeah, no doubt. This will be my closing remark is I've realized how trials of other people reveal so much of my character in the way that I handle it. And I've disappointed myself quite often. I would say more often than I've done it in a way where I kind of give myself a pat in the back.
1: You yeah, know? I think I think we can all identify with that. I think we can all identify with having done this wrong, which is why I think her book is so vital and oh, absolutely and, and really helpful for those of us who would take the time to read it, right. you know, and right. take the time to listen to what she has to say. I love the the two things that she said about dealing with people that are grieving: find a way to give remembrance. That's mm-hmm. just why that's that just was something good. you can hang on to. Absolutely. right there. Absolutely, yeah, that was yeah, a that, great thing. That's that's golden right yeah. there because everybody will want to remember the person that they're grieving mm-hmm. the loss of, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's just such a great reminder. And then I do really like her acknowledge, affirm, and express idea because it's a simple thing that you can think of to keep yourself from getting in the way. Yeah, you know, is supposed to. That's the default that we normally do. <laughs> if we yep. do something, if we do anything, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's we put ourselves out there. And I love that she has uh, that broken down in such an easy, easy fashion. Well, we hope that you benefited from uh, this episode as well, and that you found some uh, things that are useful for you and your life. And frankly, I I was encouraged by the the ending of it, just seeing how this tragedy came forth and brought really a great idea for her. And I'm I'm hoping that that inspires you too that even no matter what trial you might be going through you might have a paper cut or you might have been cut down at the knees in any case god has something he's got a bold idea to turn that into something that can be used of of god and so just trust him with that and we hope that that's the message that you got out of today's show certainly was for me Love to get your comments on this show at boldideapodcast.com slash 74 or leave us a comment on our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. Well, that's uh, all for this week. And this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. are saying so long, be bold, and put your faith to work.
0: You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit podcast dot com